welcome everyone to another episode of the Weekly Yap, the Yes And podcast. I'm your host, Travis Thomas, the creator of Yet of Live Yes And, and uh, really happy today uh, because rarely do I get to have another improviser on the Yap. I think probably the only other improviser I've had is, is Matt Matheson over in the UK. Uh, but today, uh, I get to talk shop with a fellow improviser, and really excited to have Julian uh, Schrenzel on the podcast. He is the creator of Improv Alive in Seattle, Washington. Uh, and Improv Alive strives to create uh, an environment through a full-body, multi-sensual, improvisational learning experience that breaks down self-imposed limits and unleashes the innate creativity of those who can open themselves to it. That is what Improv Alive is all about, and I am excited to talk to the creator of Improv Alive. So, Julian, thanks for joining us. Hey, Travis. It's really good to be with you today. Uh, well, Julian, again, I think we could probably jump off and start anywhere, but I think what's most interesting to me is um, how did you sort of get involved in improvisation in the first part? I think, you know, when I was in my 20s, um, I always had a goal of being uh, following my dreams as a performer. And I left a lucrative career at Costco Wholesale in IT and, and training to, uh, to move to New York City and uh, be an actor, which I did in 2004, June of 2004, after about four years, four and a half year career with Costco Wholesale IT, um, I packed up and moved out to uh, Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, far south in Brooklyn, and started by living with my uh, my great uncle, and uh, spent a couple of months there working for uh, working for Costco while auditioning. And in my time, kind of getting my feet in New York, starting in Brooklyn, then I moved to Queens. I started taking improv improv at Bright Citizens Brigade in New York City, and really fell in love with the concepts that I was seeing. You know, I I love performing, and performing improvisation, I love it. It's anxious it's, it's anxiety for me to do um but there's something about it that has always draws me back and back and back to it um and it's not for the fact that it makes me feel easy and unwind and relax because that's totally not what it does to me <laughs> but but there was thing that was profound that was pulling me back to it um and so i took a number of classes and performed a little bit with uh you know at, at upright citizens brigade and I really um, just came to fall in love with the craft. And then when I moved back to New York a few years later, I, I, I performed around the country and did a lot of musical theater and theater around the country and in New York. When I moved back to Seattle, um, there really wasn't uh, a lot of opportunity for me to do what I wanted to do with improvisation. So that's kind of was the birth of Improv Alive, was working with organizations um, without charging, just get people together and teaching improv, and you know that's where kind of the whole thing came came to life for me. And just to go back a little bit, uh, Julian, um, and for those of you who are listening, uh, Upright Citizens Brigade uh, in New York, uh, also known as UCB, uh, is probably uh, sort of one of the top improv theaters uh, in the country, if not the world. Uh, a lot of your great performers that you see on Saturday Night Live uh, are alums of UCB. Um, so you were sort of kind of right in the heart of, uh, of, of improv there, Julian. Um, but oh, yeah, I saw some amazing amazing stuff. 
Now, tell me a little bit about, uh, again, because you'd already sort of established uh, uh, a successful professional career, and you, you make that leap to move literally across the entire country uh, uh, to the big city and uh, to go for it, to, to really go for it, to, uh, um, you know, to, to itch that scratch, that, uh, the performance scratch. And so what was, that, what, were, what was that early part like for you? Because it's, it's such a scary jump that uh, a lot of people take and a scary jump that a lot of people don't have the courage to take. So what was that like for you? I feel fortunate in that a lot of things that are scary for some people, I don't feel them as scary to me. And that particularly goes for things that are new and different. Like when I moved to New York, I was not overwhelmed. I was not scared of what I was doing. I was just electrified by it and excited and just really put myself behind it. And I just loved it. I really loved that time in my life and I love that city. And I still love that city. So that kind of, it was not an anxious time for me. That funny improv can be anxious, performing improv, but doing something vastly new and different from what I have been for many years, getting out of that comfort zone for me doesn't seem to be a problem. So I really loved that. And I think that it really informed my ability to um, do what I'm doing now. Um, I learned how to deal with rejection all my life as a performer. Every performer does. You have to, if you're auditioning a hundred times and you get one thing out of 100, you're doing great. Right. So, there's a lot of rejection, and I'm sure you, you know that, Travis, as a fellow performer. We have to deal with that. We have to turn that into something that can fuel us and keep us going. And I think my time in New York really helped me to do what I do now, which is going out in, a, in the unknown. You know, it's building a, a practice in a kind of work that is not really well defined. You know, you're, you're, you're carving your own path. And for me, that is exciting and gives me energy, gives me life. And, and for you, Julian, what is it about sort of improvisation uh, specifically? And maybe what was it about improv when you were sort of first introduced to it that really sort of just kind of grabbed you? That's a good question. I'm trying to formulate um, <laughs> what I want to say about that. When we are faced as, as human beings, at least this is my experience, when I am faced with stepping out of my comfort zone a little bit, my tendency as a person is to go internal and to do what I know works and to block out any of the uncomfortable uh, stuff, the stuff outside of me. And my, and my, so my response to uncomfortable or unknown is to shield myself and to go inside um, and to do the modus operandi, do what it is I always do. And I see the value of doing the opposite thing, working out so much for so many people that I, when I look around me and see the people that I respect, and see the people who have really made a difference in life. To me, it seems like those people were faced with a challenge that made them, that was a real hard thing, made them uncomfortable, but rather than shutting down and going in and doing what they always did, they forced themselves to be open and to look outward and to make effective steps, kind of 
looked objectively look at themselves and say, what could I do better this time? How could I react to this in a more effective and better way? And I love that and because it's so hard for me. Maybe that's why I love it so much is because I'm so bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm attracted to that. I'm attracted. I want to be that kind of person. And so that's, I suppose, has been my mission. That's what I love about it. And so with improvisation, obviously you you have the app, well, the demand, I would say the opportunity, the, the demand is that you do that every time you step on stage. Yes, yes, absolutely. You have to work that muscle every time you do it. And the more you work that muscle, the easier it is to do that. You know, it's like going to a gym. You wouldn't go to a gym one time and expect you're going to be totally ripped, right? You have to go in and go in and go in and make a habit out of it. And once you have a habit made, then you start reacting in that new way that you've made a habit. And to me, I really like that. I like looking at the way that I'm reacting and saying, how could I do it different? And then do that and do that and do that to where my habitual reaction to something is that rather than what it might be by its nature. I, you know, I know for me, uh, again, I think similarly, I, I didn't get into improv until I was, I want to say, 24 or 25. And it was, you know, one of those those first classes, once I took it, it was such a big sort of game changer uh, uh, mentally and seeing how, because, you know, you're, you're taking class with a, with a bunch of strangers. You have, no, you know, there's no uh, relationship with, with these people, yet you're immediately having to get on stage with one another and create something together. And if it's going to be any good, you know, you've got to, you've got to truly work with one another and trust one another and listen to one another. And I was just blown away at how that is possible so quickly with a group of strangers. And for me, it was like, wait a second, does this have bigger implications than, than just stage? Which, which it clearly, it clearly does. You know, it it changed, it changed my life for you. Um, when was it that you had this sense that, you know what, this is a lot bigger than just performance? I'll tell you, it was when I moved back, for sure I knew it. When I moved back to Seattle, I started teaching. I, my idea was I wanted to teach a few classes for an organization called Seattle Free School, which right now is defunct. But at the time, it was a no-profit organization where teachers had something to teach. They'd come together. Students had something to learn. they come off the street from Microsoft, from the homeless shelter. Everybody came. And then this space was donated by a cafe or a library or a community center. So everybody came together with no money exchanged. And anybody taught anything they wanted from getting your ownership to basket making to improv to computer skills. And so I thought I wanted to do something like just something. I wanted to give something. So I decided I would teach um, a computer course and an improv course. Now, I had never taught improv in my life. Um, I had been a trainer for a technical trainer, but so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to give this a shot. Just who cares? I'm just going to just try it. Just try it. See what happens. So much to my horror, (laughs) much to my delight, the class was filling up like crazy, but people were really interested. And I had a good solid, probably 20, 25 people in the very first class I ever taught. But then much to my horror, when I got there, nobody had any acting or improv background at all. Yeah. These were all people who had just absolutely no clue as to what improv was, how it worked, all that. So I was freaking out. 
Because I thought, how in the God's name am I going to teach improv to people who have no clue as to what, you know, what it, how it works? I thought, this is going to bomb. I'm going to be terrible. Well, I didn't bomb, and it wasn't terrible. And beyond that, I got calls and emails after that from a number of people saying, that was really, I've never had anything like that. I've never had the opportunity to do anything like this. And I really like what, what we did. And it was just really well, really well received. And from that point on, I had had a couple of people who came in with improv backgrounds, but most of the people who ended up coming after that to my subsequent classes did not have improv experience to where it came to the point where I preferred working with people without improv experience. Sure. Because the people with improv experience understand, they already get it, and they're thinking of it usually from a performance standpoint. They're like, this is an, a performing class. Whereas the things that I valued in improv were, yeah, performing a little bit, but the things I really valued were the things like, how can I have a deeper communication with this person that I'm working with? Hmm. Or, you know, what can I do to um, be able to make decisions better? Or what can I do to not be so damn scared of standing up in front of people and saying something or delivering a pitch or whatever have you? Those are the things that really caught my, uh, really caught my attention and really caught my, my passion. So that's how it all began by teaching non non performers how to improv, and from there it took off into me, um, getting people who came to my class said, "Hey, I'd really love you to come to my organization or my church or my my meetup group." And so I started going out and doing these things to where I started to get so busy doing it. I thought this is kind of this is a business. So. And it all kind of snowballed from there. Right, right. So it's great. So you, the, the business sort of created itself from uh, from what you were just doing, really, as 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 a fun as a fun hobby. And uh, Julian, what do you think? Uh, you know, obviously, you uh, you're, te- you're teaching a class. You've got people coming that have had probably z- you know little to zero um, performing experience. And um, what do you think it is about improv that uh, that just grabs people, especially especially these newcomers? I think that the people who don't have any experience in improv or performance on stage or anything, they have never had the experience of having to put something big together in a very short amount of time that has to be right for the customer or the audience on stage as a performer speaks. Um, In the business world, there's a lot of red tape usually, a lot of politics and red tape that goes around building a product and then putting that product to market and engaging with the customer and presenting that product, there tends to be a a very slow-moving process with a lot of people with a lot of different agendas and a lot of cooks in the kitchen and a lot of of kind of butting heads that way. Where I remember as a performer having two and a half weeks to put together a a two-and-a-half-hour musical that involved directors and performers and musicians in a pit and volunteers and people selling tickets and people marketing... There's all these departments who had to come together super quick to make something that would work. And the only way we could do that is through the passion of what we were doing and through the concept of, of, of accepting what other people were doing and adding to it, just giving my best, each person giving their very best to it, no matter what the outcome, no matter which way we're going, just to make it work. And I 
think that people who don't have a background in performance or improvisation may not have the depth, not have, may not have seen how a the yes and concept, the positive attitude, and the willingness to give of yourself and just give to the team can really be amazingly effective in in creating in in generating um, a product or being effective as a team. And that, to me, is what people take away from it. That's the big aha moment for people in, who have never done improv get to see how that positive attitude, that yes and concept, is put to, into work and how it can amazingly be so effective in, in producing. Yeah, I think that that sense of freedom that I feel that you're you know, articulating with that, that uh, especially for adults who who have gone through school, who have professional careers. And like you said, you get used to the red tape and the bureaucracy that comes along with sort of the professional world. And then you find yourself in an improv class where you're literally being told there are no rules, uh, there is no wrong answer, um, there are no mistakes, uh, you can do and be anything that you want to be, and and your partner's going to have your back. And it's yeah. there's a certain sense of... Are you, are you serious? Like, how's that going to work? But at the, <laughs> but at the same time, there's this sense of like almost kind of like a smile, like seriously, like that's possible. Like really, that's possible. And it's like, well, you know, I mean, it's like, do you remember when you were five and on the playground and you would just make up stuff with your buddy, you know, your buddies, and there was no rules? Like, there's almost like that that returning uh, that it's like that uh, a return of innocence, if you will, that you, that you see in these adult improv classes. Oh, true. Yeah, you really you really hit it on the head. That's exactly true. And uh, and now, Julian, and now that you've worked with uh, with organizations and you've gone in and, and worked with whether it's corporate or you know teams and in whatever capacity, uh, explain what that is like for you as you go in as the improviser and um, <clears throat> sort of what you're met with and sort of the barriers that that you see yourself being able to kind of knock down as you do that. I think that right there, what you're what you're talking about, is the biggest challenge with what we do as uh, as leaders of improvisational experience, of applied improv experience. Um, you're going. Every individual person is different from everybody else. Everybody has a different reaction to uncomfortableness, or to fear, or to anxiety, or to anxiousness. And compounding that is everybody's reaction to it is different when they're in a group. So you've got a lot of these dynamics. You've got every kind of person who may react differently, and then you complicate that with the fact that there are multiple personalities interacting together. How do you, as a, a leader of this experience, create an environment and deliver the content in a way that's going to be most effective for these people and not blow up? or not cause them to be fearful, or not cause them to be bored. You have to walk that tightrope as, 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 uh, as the organizer, as the leader of the experience. And, you know, I really feel fortunate that it's not something that I, I'm conscious of when I'm teaching. Yeah. I, I, I don't try to walk a tightrope, but my nature as an instructor, I've, I've always felt good teaching. Um, even before I officially did teach. Um, I feel like I'm very in tune with my with my people that I'm working for, with the, the, the participants of my experiences, um, and I can innately sense where is it going as a, 
individual people. And my reaction is to, <laughs> like a like a sheepdog, is to herd people in. When it goes too far this way, I can bring it in easily or bring it in this way easily. <clears throat> and, and, and almost, you know, just lead and guide the experience for everybody. You know, I think it is a... I think it is a talent that you can have as as, as an instructor, and um, and it's a really important talent to have. Well, and I think what you're what I hear is is too your ability to sort of bring relevance uh, into the into that environment. And and again, with you having that experience, you know, working in a professional corporate environment, uh, to live in that world and then to go and live sort of in the performance uh, acting improv world and then to bring the improv world into the corporate environments, the fact that you've sat in that cubicle <laughs> and you know the politics and you know the bureaucracy, you know, it's, it's one thing... <clears throat> And again, this isn't a knock on on, on improvisers doing corporate training. Um, I was blessed to work with guys in Boston who had come from the business world as well. And so it's different when you have someone going in and teaching corporate training improvisationally who has been in the corporate world compared to having just some actors going in there and here's some improv games that help build team. Um, because there is that relevance of like, okay, how is this skill or game that I'm going to teach them really going to translate to to breaking through some of this corporate bureaucracy? And so your ability and your background and your credibility, um, I imagine, gives you you know how to navigate those waters. Oh yes, I mean what you're talking about right now, Travis, also is equally important when it comes to business development. Speaking as a company that delivers applied improvisation, if you don't know how to talk in the world of the people that you're trying to sell your service to, right. there's no way that they're going to invest their money into your services if you can't sound like one of them. Right. And or at least not, you know, not sound like one of them, but unless you can empathize and understand the challenges that they're facing and the world that they're living and acting in, then they won't get the connection that you are, you understand. You're just this, this actor guy, you know, who, who's trying <laughs> to sell something as opposed to, yeah, you get it. You are a corporate person who gets it. Yeah. Right, right, and, and and like you said, you know, and uh, I, I think a lot of times when when I've talked to different people who have reached out about, hey, could you come in and do some things? And I was like, yeah, I can come in and do some things, but you know, what is the, what is sort of the lasting impact that you're looking to have? You know, it's it's you know, as as you know, if often you want you get the request to help. Um, to help build team amongst a department or amongst a group. And the reality is usually this isn't a group of people who who don't know how to work with one another. This is probably a group of people who are being prevented from being able to work with one another. Um, and uh, and being able to see that it's not, you're not teaching someone how to be um, empathic. You're giving someone permission to be empathic. Um, and then figuring out, you know, with the organization, how, how they can do a better job of creating that overall environment totally yeah and right. so and so julian what about you on a on a personal level you know how has sort of the you know the yes and uh, philosophy and how has that sort of seeped into your your personal life you know i i worked i still work um i am lucky to have a, 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 a practice 
that allows me the freedom to build multiple companies. Um, I work not only in doing Improv Alive, but I, I work with my father um, as a technical recruiter. So all that IT background and experience didn't get thrown away. It still gets used. <laughs> um, but I work as a technical recruiter as a family-run business, and my father uh, works closely with me with that. He, he is the owner of the company, and I head up operations and delivery and sales. I kind of run operations. Um, when we began working together a decade ago, um, we would butt heads a lot. And we'd get to a point where you know, we were both short fuses, we are both passionate, and um, we would get to points where we were arguing with each other loudly, and even in front of our employees. <laughs> and I think we did a bit of damage to our, you know, to our culture by uh, being that way, being hot-headed and, and confrontational in an environment that needed the support and needed the nurturing of a young company. And I really, you know, the yes and concept, which is all about accepting, not necessarily buying into what you're seeing, but accepting it as the reality and realizing in your head this is a legitimate concern in the head of the person that is saying it, they feel strongly about this, and I respect that person. So that's the, the accepting, even though you may not agree with it, accepting what it is that they're saying. And then the and part, which is adding to the situation, you can add negativity to a situation and become and make it a, a negative situation, but you can also choose to figure out how to add something positive to uplift the bar and make it a, a, a rising tide that floats all boats. And even if you don't see eye to eye to someone, that concept of yes and, when you have it tip top in your head, will change that dynamic. And for me and my father, we both used it. Um, I taught my father that yes and, and since that time he's become a, a prophet of it as well. Um, <laughs> both really put that into use and while we don't always see eye to eye we still don't we, we, we will disagree quite a bit but we never come to that point anymore where we're literally arguing with each other because we think about what can I do we understand this is a legitimate concern for this person and I love this person yeah. or you don't always love the person you're working with but I respect this person I need to give them that respect by hearing them out and understanding it's important to them and then how can I give something, add something to this that is positive, that is effective, that will get what I need? And when you do that, it works out. And so, yeah, that was a huge, huge lesson to learn for me working with my, my in the business and working with my family dynamics. So it helped me at a personal and professional level. Uh, yeah, I think that can often be the toughest. And you, you had them combined. You had business and personal life there. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've had my 14-year-old daughter call me out plenty of times for, <laughs> Dad, for someone who teaches yes and, you sure like to say no. I was like, oh. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> like, she's a smart girl. I was like, ah, touche, touche. I'm like, ah, you're right. So, some self-reflection needed there. Um, yeah, right. So, uh, which actually kind of leads me to a next question for you. Um what is the toughest improv principle that uh, that you have a hard time sort of um, consistently putting to work in your life? Um, not controlling things. <laughs> Open that up. Open that up for, yeah. our, for our non-improv audience, Julian. Sure. When you're performing, you're uh, on the back line, as it's called. So you're doing a 
uh, performance where you got everybody is out there as an actor. People are waiting to go on stage. They're on the back line waiting to go out. Those actors who are out in front are doing a scene, which means that everybody on the back line has to be listening, has to be watching what's going on and paying attention so they can come out when they are compelled to come out and they can lend their voices or their actions or whatever they can lend to the performance to support everybody and make a great performance there is such a pull such a undeniable almost unescapable pull to want to be prepared so you don't so i don't go out and look like a fool out in front of everyone so my brain is just fighting, fighting to, <laughs> to, to, to jump ahead of the situation so I feel comfortable and know, okay, now I know what I want to do. This is how I'm going to go out. <laughs> but the detriment of all that is the minute that I start thinking about, you know, okay, this is what I want to do. This is what I want. It's the very moment my ears shut off to what's actually going on around me. And the moment my ears shut off to what's going around me, I'm no longer in the present, but I'm falling farther and farther behind the present into the past while I think about what I want to do. And then when it actually comes time to do something, I'm not with the group yeah. because I'm thinking about something else. And so it's irrelevant. So I kind of, it's this death spiral that is just a crappy thing to get into, but it's so attractive to do because in, in the in the interest of preserving my dignity and pride and respect, you know? Well, you know, I think we could spend a couple of hours talking about that exact point, Julian. You yeah. just... <laughs> The ability to to bring that uh, that essence of staying in the moment in a scene, uh, and and the ability to do that in life, to stay in the moment in life, to not try to overthink it, to not try to control it, to not try to uh, manipulate it, and uh, you know it's it's just so fascinating. You know I you know I was able to. Uh, start performing right away after going through the training center, and I was comfortable on stage, but um, but I was really up and down as a performer. I would say my performance was up and down, and my wife would you know she would come to shows all the time, and she would give me show notes, of course, like any good li- any good wife would, and uh, <laughs> she would she would often say to me, you know what, uh, in that scene, uh, I don't think you were listening. And I was like, really? And she's like, yeah. She goes, you missed, you miss, you were missing information, and, and and she was right, you know. And I would say it probably took, you know, a good seven or eight years where I, before I really felt that I was a really good on stage listener, and and it came from that ability to let go of trying to be prepared of where I think the scene should go. And just totally letting go and being present in the moment and responding to the moment, um, and uh, where you're fully present and you're not missing do information. That, uh, do you think that is that a beast that you have to fight over and over again, or do you feel like you you slew that slayed slewed slayed that dragon? <laughs> no, I think it's now. I, I cannot say that I've mastered it. I think it's 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 still there and will probably always continue to be there. And you can relate to because. A lot of times you'll be in a scene or you'll be on the back line and something happens and you've got a brilliant idea of how you could add to it. And but then the moment passes and the scene's gone in a different direction and you can spend the next 30 seconds still trying to figure out how you're going to incorporate that genius idea into the scene. 
but you've missed it. It's done. It's it's past. And um, so no, that is still there. That is still there. <laughs> it's like it's like real life, but it's like all it's like all conde- it's like a condensed, strong version of real life. Like these little lessons come by at every second that you're on stage that that you can spread out over a lifetime of normal living. Yeah. Well, and I think it's funny. I look at a parallel a little bit about uh, my nine year old son. Um, uh, it, it's almost like when we t- when we make one little misna- mistake, and instead of just accepting the mistake and dealing with the mistake, we try to we still are trying to fix and manipulate <laughs> the original idea, which causes a series of mistakes. And you know, my my, my nine year old had one of those a few weeks ago, where one bad decision would have been fine had we just accepted the yes, had we just accepted the mistake in the moment and dealt honestly with the moment, but he kept trying to fix it, um, which brought a series of dishonest mistakes. And, you know, I think that's life. That's the, I really wished this would have happened or this quote unquote should have happened. So I'm going to spend all this time and energy trying to force it to happen instead of saying yes and to the current moment. Oh, wow. Um, so no, that, that's a good one. Uh, so tell us, Julian, um, with Improv Alive, anyone out there that's listening, I'm sure you will happily um, come and travel and, and, and work anywhere someone needs you. Um, what is the best way to, uh, to get in contact with you? Sure. Yeah. So my, my website is improv-alive.com. Um, is uh, my website, and there's a lot of information there. Uh, about uh, the corporate work I'm doing and about community work that I do as well. I have a blog there as well. Um, of course, you're welcome to call anybody who wants to call me. They could do so. At, uh, my phone number is 206-437-9455. And my email address is julian at improv-alive.com. And I welcome any, any questions. Um, I always love giving valuable things away so if anybody needs some games some fun exercises things that uh, that they would they would uh, find a value I'm, I'm happy to do that great Julian one more question um, uh, especially from like a, a business corporate training perspective what is, what do you think is the biggest misconception that people have about improv and your work um, uh, in, in the business setting do you mean people who experience them or people who are considering like business owners? Or? Yeah, people who are considering, they, they think about what improv is and they think like, oh, does that mean that you're going to this? Oh, I, I yeah. see what you're saying, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think maybe one of the biggest things, and this is not their fault, I think it's it's a lack of, 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 of maturity in our industry using applied improvisation, and that is that a lot of times improv for business is seen like, oh yeah, we have this event coming up, so why don't we bring in an improviser, you know, to, to have some fun, to break the ice, and to do some, you know, do some fun stuff, which is fine. I, I do that, you know, that's a big part of my business. However, it, I think there's so much more to <laughs> apply improvisation, and I think you feel the same, Travis. Yeah. That what we're doing here is we're barely scratching the iceberg of, of the power of this kind of work. Um, I don't think it's not really about improv. It's about a different way of thinking and a different 
set of tools to use for life, life tools and thinking. And I think that the business owners, business leaders, when they sense the value of the long-term value, the, the, the changing of habits of their culture, their workforce to really bring forth a greater sense of, of getting things done as a team. I think when they really grasp that, there's going to be more, um, there's going to be, we will be able to serve our clients better and better the more legitimate that um, our work becomes. Well, amen to that, Julian. Uh, I, I agree with you 100%. And uh, thanks so much uh, for, for taking the time to be in on the Yap. Um, I'm a big fan of you and all the work that you're doing, and uh, I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you, Travis.